Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. Again, fellow basement dwellers, this is your good friend Patrick O'Dowd welcoming you in to another edition of Bandwagon Nerd. Bandwagon Nerd is a part of the Chairshot Radio Network here on thechairshot.com, where we encourage you to always use your head. Thechairshot.com, always use your head. And we are in a stripped-down edition of the Bandwagon to start today as it is just myself and david ungar the founders day ones the ogs if you will of bandwagon nerds here now we do expect to be joined by the violent gentleman ace mitchell later but right now it's just me curmudgeon and the lawyer david ungar and how are you sir welcome to uh, a duo Dynamic duo, if you will, for the bandwagon. I just want to know, are you Jimmy or Jay Uso? I'm just, because we the ones, apparently. We, we the ones, day one-ish. Doing all right, man. Uh, yeah, I, uh, it's an interesting week. You know, we, we got no PC Tunney. He chose, I, I think, the links over us. He went and did some golfing. He did, he did say if the weather was nice, he wasn't going to be there. So that happened. Uh I am currently enjoying a beautiful day here in Massachusetts. So uh, I know Bakersfield is still on fire, I'm assuming. Yeah. What's it looking like today? I'm sure it's ugly. Yeah. Just a 103. No big deal. 103. We also invited Ray Cash. He, he said not to count on him as well. Obviously, he is not here either. And because he's not here, we'll just, you know, the studio audience has feelings. <laughs> And if he's listening, and I know he's not, I'm sorry, Christopher Platt. I didn't send up the Platt signal in time. So there there you have it. Um, also, I, as everybody knows, I'm perfectly happy with, with a three-person booth, which we will get to eventually uh, when the violent gentleman rolls in. However, uh, for this week's bandwagon, we're actually going to go revisit a little bit of what we talked about last week. I thought last week was a really great episode. I felt like we had a really nice strong hour talking about the wb discovery merger and all of the implications as to what that meant for hbo max what that meant for dc and uh and since then i just more stuff has has come up 
some good questions to ask and things to kind of think about and consider. And so I felt like that was worth a talk. And then I wanted to get to a story that broke actually last week and we could have covered on last week's bandwagon, but we just had too much show last week to, to cover it. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Marvel and, and some of its, uh, some feelings from, well, the visual effects industry and just how, how that great Marvel model may not always be so great. We, we will, Oh, cracking up, cracking open some beverages, huh? Yeah, cracking, cracking something yeah. open, man. Cracking something open. We are going to go to the trailer park. Uh, I had some fun trailers that I, that I came across today, uh, in, in putting the rundown together. And of course we will start as we always have. And it's fine that, Aesop's not here to start the show because from what I understand, he hasn't been keeping up with the Umbrella Academy anyway. And Dave, you and I will get to cover and talk about the Umbrella Academy episode four, season three. Um, three sort of distinct storyline threads, really, if if you ask me. Uh, but I'm going to do something a little different. And rather than try to do the summary, I'm just going to start with you and... Because the things that really stuck with me from this episode are like really kind of small, subtle things. I got caught up in like camera play and and some some visual stuff that you can see going on in the background of this episode. And so I'm going to turn it over to you uh, to talk uh, a little bit about episode four and really what stuck out to you. Uh, and where, what do you want to, where do you want to go first? So go for it, man. Talk to us about episode four of Umbrella Academy season three. Yeah. Like you're saying, there's, there's, you know, a few distinct storylines going on and some big reveals. Uh, this was a pretty momentous episode in, in a lot of ways you get to see, you know, I think starting off with Harlan is the easy place to start. you know, that's how the episode starts yep. off looking at, you know, how he got to where he ended up. We, we've discovered that it is, you know, Harlan is who we thought he was. And, and you get to see how, you know, the stuff his mom had to go through with him and his inability to control his powers, forcing them to pack up and move 10, 15 times, who knows, um, before his mother succumbs to who knows what cancer AIDS. I don't know what it was, you know, it's, what was it? 89 or something like that when she dies, uh, in the show. Yeah. Um, to me, it appeared like it was cancer. Uh, I think uh, it was cancer as well. Um, it looked like chemo and, Harlan's inability to deal with his mother's death leading to this basically paradox inducing uh, release of his power. And that's kind of what we discover at the, you know, coming full circle at the end, you discover that his meltdown with his mother dying somehow kills off all the umbrella Academy's mothers and creates the grandfather paradox. Right. Yeah. It was, it was a very um, heart wrenching moment. Uh, when he discovers the articles about the deaths of all of their mothers in um, in uh, Victor's, it wasn't Victor's room. It was Klaus, right? Klaus was the one who was. Yeah, I think Klaus collecting. was one collecting all of the all of that stuff, and and then he goes in. I think, and it's 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 interesting because the other big moment that happens is apparently Klaus gets killed in this episode. Uh, Stan accidentally yes. shoots him through the heart with a uh, spear gun as they're in the white Buffalo room at the same time that five is cutting out from his older self. I mean, I guess, yeah, get into it. We discover that five is the founder of this 
their version of the TSA, whatever it's called, I forget, drink. And um, we discover that he's right. basically been trying to escape from himself <laughs> for the last two and a half seasons. Right. And it's it's hilarious because, you know, he's doing this big speech as he's traveling with, uh, with Lyra, uh, Lyra. And you know what I loved about Five's storyline is that you got this great sort of begrudging of uh, building relationship between five and Lila. Like he's still trying to be adversarial, but like they're, they're, they're kind of more alike than they really want to admit to. And, and like almost enjoying each other's company to a degree. Yeah. There's a thought of, of that animosity a little yeah. bit. Right. You know, they had their fight. Now they're teaming up. Uh, it, it was interesting. I'll be interested in, I'm hoping there's more to that bunker than, than just this moment where like you've constructed this bunker that allows all of your other selves to be in one place without starting to suffer from the, what is it they call it? The dementia or whatever that is. Paradox psychosis. Yeah. The paradox psychosis, which they, you know, they tip you off that he's getting close to himself as he's going in there. Cause he's starting to feel all sweaty and out of sorts. And then he goes in and everything's going farting all yeah. over the place, farting all over the place. Like it was just weird or fun. And, and it feels like that deserves an explanation, right? Like, like at some point, but yeah, you learn that he's the founder and that he keeps acting like he's been trying to escape and just live a life in retirement. When in reality, it seems like whatever has been happening drove him to create this organization in order to keep what has happened from happening. Uh, we also get the definition of that, whatever they call that thing down at the bottom of the basement, the, uh, the Kugelblitz. Yeah. The Kugelblitz. Uh, yeah. The Kugelblitz, which is the name of the episode that it's some sort of like reverse black hole for reality and that there's no way to stop it. And that, and he five again, he tells himself to let it do what it needs, like what it's doing because don't it needs save to happen. The world. Yeah. Don't save the world. Don't save the world. And he's talking about um, five is talking about it like the reverse big bang, you know? So, which right. is, which is it's like, Oh, that's disconcerting at certain levels for sure. Um, absolutely. I, um, I really, 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 really can't stand Ben as a character right now. He is. You see this in a lot of these shows, you know, and, and I know you've complained about it. Like I know Walking Dead you used to complain about Carol making stupid decisions for the sake of progressing this, keeping the story going. And Ben is like, it's like you are making bad decisions here, Ben, because this is like, you know, and, and even, um, Faye, you know, in this episode at the end right. where they come in, they they do the exchange, you know, where Luther and, and and Victor and Allison let Sloan go and give the bodies back of uh, of Alfonso and the other girl who both got killed by Harlan. And that was supposed to be it. And then Ben decides to up the ante by demanding that they give him Harlan and Faye's like, that's not the plan. And, and you know, and so he's Ben is like you're saying, I, I don't like him either because he's so desperate to prove that he's not a a default number one now that marcus is gone that he's really capable of this and it's clear that he's not and he just makes right. bad decisions yeah and and it's yeah and it just seems like bad decisions for the sake of bad now it seems like there may be a reason behind it i hope so because 
really, really he's 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 frustratingly making bad decisions. And that's what like when when characters make bad decisions and you can kind of understand it, that's one thing. When you're just making bad decisions because it feels obtuse and dumb, that's what drives me nuts. You uh, you brought up Allison, and we get a we get a better window into the depth of how she's suffering and what she's actually doing to herself, uh, which is slowly driving her crazy. Like she is using her power on herself by looking at herself in the mirror and saying, "I heard a rumor," and it is driving her batshit crazy. And it's only going to get worse, right? Like there's just no way that that this this comes to any good at all. Yeah, she's pretty hopeless at this point. You know, she's lost her husband. She's lost her daughter. Um, she's in a really, really bad spot. To, so much to the point. And Diego is, you know, I, and Diego's a complex character more so than I thought because at, the, at one end, he's trying to he's trying to help his sister. But right. at the end where they decide where he's talking to her and they're outside of a redneck bar with a rebel flag on the side and they're like, they don't like our people you know, our kind of people in there. So let's go fuck some shit yeah, we up can go fuck some shit up or we can just go back to the hotel and have a drink or there and, and, or whatever. And they decide to go into the bar and I'm sure that's not going to end well for the people in the bar. Um, and that's fine. You know, that work it out however you want. I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel too bad if you just beat the hell out of a bunch of racist dickheads in a bar somewhere, go for it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, at the same time, if that's how you're processing your grief, and channeling your anger, it's only going to lead to bigger problems. And you see, you know, she goes after Sloan in this episode. And, you know, Sloan yeah, puts and- up a fight against this whole, you know, I heard a rumor thing, but eventually has to give in. Um, yeah, that's the other thing. Luther and Sloan have a really kind of tender moment there where they where they put their cards on the table a little bit. Well, what's what's really interesting about Luther and Sloan is they're they they feel a kindred connect they feel a connection obviously they were attracted to each other yeah but there's also i think this connection between the two of them within their own group dynamic because both of them feel like outsiders within the group mm-hmm. in in different ways like we've talked we talked about this last week that luther isn't taken seriously by his peers at all and i don't think sloan is viewed as this cut from the same cloth by the sparrows and when that's the case, then, you know, they, they both feel like outsiders, yet they also feel a loyalty to their family. And it's this weird self-harm conflict that they're dealing with that, you know, they're still, they're still trying to bring the two groups together when, when that doesn't seem to be what either group really wants to have happen. Yeah. There's so, a, there's a natural competition between these two groups, you know, and, and, right they do need to work together when you think about what they're facing. Um, even though it's bigger than both of them combined, but yeah, I, I think, you know, at the end of the whole thing, the, the Victor Harlan kind of like can Victor find a way to channel Harlan's power in a productive way. And, and can that, since he's caused this, can they use him to kind of undo this? I don't know, but I, I gotta say, man, uh, this season of umbrella Academy ha- is, has been my favorite so far. And and I, I like this season because there are multiple layers to it. Like the first two seasons were complex as well and had lots of stuff going on. This feels multifaceted. And like you're saying, we've got well-defined story arcs going on simultaneously. And 
you know, we see Star Wars used to do that stuff very well in the original trilogy. And now you're getting to see, you know, I, I, I don't know how you feel, but for me, I'm enjoying this season more than one and two so far. Yeah, it's been a great season. I think the story, the storytelling has been great. Uh, I think that it's been very nuanced and there's been, there's just a lot to absorb. And I feel like they're doing well, keeping all these threads together and heading in a, in a good direction. I do want to get to uh, the White Buffalo Suite, right? Which is a throwback uh, for Klaus, because Klaus remember seeing the image of the White Buffalo in uh, Hargreaves' uh, room. And, and just out of nowhere, right? Like just out of nowhere, he gets he gets shot. You mentioned it he, by this harpoon. He drops to the ground. It appears that he's dead. Uh, whether he's fully dead, we'll we'll have to see. I'm not sure, but I I'm nervous for him. Uh, we'll we'll see where that takes him. Yeah. The other of- thing that I thought was re- oh, go ahead. No, and you think about what his power is, which has been nullified in the first four episodes. His ability, yeah, he really to hasn't talk done anything to, with his power. ability to talk to the dead. You know, now what happens if he's one of them? Right. Excuse me, I needed to get a drink of water there. Um, here's the other thing that I I wonder what the white buffalo room really is. And here's why. I don't know if you noticed this. Camera's different in the room. The If you go back and you watch this watch on the screen, they've switched. I don't know if it's a lens effect or what they did, but they've switched it to where there was almost like a dreamlike ethereal quality to the way you are watched. The edges of the screen get softened away and it's like it's almost like you're looking through a peephole into the room so i wonder how dead he really is because it seems like that room might be i mean it's obviously special like it you, fancy seal on the room name different but it was a it was a very it's a subtle camera trick and one that I don't like, did you see it? Did you notice what I'm talking about there or a, a little bit? I mean, I noticed they, they play with camera angles. Like you're saying a lot during, especially when five and Lila are at the time compound, you know, you see some different right. vantage points that make you think, what are we, you know, who's actually watching them and from what perspective. But, um, do you feel like there's more to Stan than this kid than, than they've led us on so far? Because, Oh, absolutely. We just don't know yet. I mean, other than there's, stealing there's some... artifacts and panties, you know, that's, I like yeah, that. yeah. Klaus like put everything back. All right, you can keep the panties. Except for the panties. But um, no, and I would I would encourage you to go back and watch that the tail end of that episode and just look at how different the white buffalo suite looks um, in terms of what they did with the camera because it's very much like you can't miss it. Once you know it's there, you can't miss it. And I actually backed up the 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 um, show. I was like, is this just in my head or have they been doing this a whole episode? And it's not. When they go to the White Buffalo room, the camera changes. And it's uh, it's uh, it, it's like you're looking through a, like through a hole into the room as opposed to the full screen uh, corner to corner. So definitely worth a look. Uh, other things, I talked about this in the chat after watching the episode. And at some point... I think we're just going to have to do an episode of bandwagon nerds where we talk about Stanley Kubrick and, and the influence specifically of the shining on our things that entertain us because, you know, I think we've talked about it before. Like the, 
the guys at Pixar and behind Toy Story have been putting references to The Shining in Toy Story since the very first Toy Story movie. Here's another example. In Umbrella Academy, in Harlan's room, look at the wallpaper. The wallpaper is the carpet design from the Overlook Hotel, just in a different color scheme. And you can't say that's an accident, because there's something wrong with Harlan. And his powers are very shining S, at least in the sense of, like, telekinesis. If it's even telekinesis. Whatever it is, he's projecting. Um, and, and it just, it wasn't lost on me. And there are so many, like, like I appreciate the shining the, the the Kubrick version of The Shining, it would like it. It's a masterpiece of cinema and, and in the history of horror. But I um I I don't revere it to clearly the level that a lot of filmmakers do uh, to make it such a big part of all kinds of of movies here and there and everywhere. Or in in, in this case, an Umbrella Academy. Yeah, I mean, The Shining is one of my one of my favorites because it's very, it, it is probably you know right up there with the best examples of I guess psychological horror that they've done in in cinema because it's not it's not grotesque stuff. I mean, there yeah, there's the stuff with the old woman in the bathtub that's jarring, but um, they just they just kind of play with your mind in, in in that movie and they use dialogue and they use atmosphere and ambiance to create a really unnerving experience. Um, but yeah, I did not notice that. But I, you're right. I mean, Harlan's got, Vanya's got it. It's kind of a mix of The Shining with the Phoenix Force, you know, and that sort of thing. And you, when you look at what he's capable right. of doing, and it's like, whoa. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I agree that we should <laughs> talking about. Kubrick's obviously got a big influence on just about, you know, I mean, I, I've lost track of. Didn't he did 2001 as well, which is hugely influential. Um, so... Yeah, that'd be a good episode of BWN sometime, talking about Kubrick. He did Apocalypse Now as well, didn't yeah. he? I think so. Uh, no, that's Coppola. No, Apocalypse Now was Francis. That was Francis Ford Coppola, right. yeah. Okay. No, Kubrick did uh, Full Metal Jacket, I do believe. That's right. Was he Full Metal Jacket? I think so. Now, now I'm like, hold on. I'm on IMDb yeah, right now. How do you shoot innocent uh, women and children? Easy. You don't lead them as much. Yeah, it's messed up. <laughs> it is. Um. Yeah, one moment, please. Because now I'm like, Stanley Kubrick, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Uh, he did Spartacus. Yeah, Full Metal Jacket, Clockwork Orange, yeah, Clockwork Barry Orange. Lyndon, Eyes Wide Shut, Doctor Strange, Strange Love, A Version of Lolita. He was all over the place. Busy, busy man, right up until his death. And clearly his, his work is, and, and rightfully so, heavily influential in a lot of what we watch and you know i've been watching a lot of i just finished watching the light and magic documentary to change the subject a little bit which that series disappointed me i'm not gonna lie a little bit uh four episodes of star wars two episodes of what light and magic did after that so yeah see at days like, yeah exactly however uh one of the things they talk about is the influence that kubrick had over uh george lucas in even trying to make Star Wars in the first place. So good, good stuff. All right. So episode five, hopefully we learn more as we were left in a cliffhanger with Klaus's death. I will tell you, I've already read the synopsis. Klaus is going to be doing some stuff in the afterlife at the very, very least. So heads up for that. Uh, I'm sad I won't be here to talk about it. Uh, but yikes, fully 
expect you to carry carry the carry the reins, take charge of the team, help us out. I'll 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 whip him into shape, Pat. Don't worry. You will whip it good. No 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 no. All right, that sounds like a good place to take our first commercial break. Uh, when we come back, we will jump into the trailer park and then talk a little bit of Marvel news. You are listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com. This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com, bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, thechairshot.com. All right, welcome back, Dave. The first commercial break is over. That usually means we're taking a walk into the trailer park, and sure enough, we're making our way there, so I need you to play that beautiful banjo. Thank you very much. This week, only three trailers picked for the trailer park, all streaming service trailers. So a little bit different. Two from Netflix, one from, I do believe, uh, Apple Plus. Uh, let, me, let me double check that. Anyway, and I bet you when you saw the first one that I picked on this list, you were like, why in the world did Patrick go with this film? So Here's what I want to see if you can you guess. So the movie, the film, it's a Netflix film straight to Netflix. It is a um, movie starring. I can't remember which character she plays, but she's in Stranger Things. She's a uh, Robin. Uh, Maya Robin. Ha- Maya Hawk. Stranger- Maya. Maya what? I think Maya Hawk. Right. Is that her name? Like Ethan Hawke? Like, yeah, like, yeah. Right. Um, so, Dave, you watched this trailer, I'm assuming. Can you guess why I had you watch it? Maybe for her. Um, <laughs> kinda. Kinda. I, yeah. I, I gotta be honest. I did ask myself, you know, girls, you know, being being slighted, seeking revenge against people who've wronged them. Why? Or why is why is Pat interested in this? So I'm gonna let you tell me because because clearly David Ungar is not an Alfred Hitchcock thing, as this is a teenage girl retelling of Strangers on a Train. Okay. All right, now it makes it makes more sense now. And now suddenly you're like, oh, I get it, because Patrick's a movie nerd, and he would see this and be like, here's the thing, I talk about this all the time, and if we ever, we this may be a fun musical chairs episode someday. I really don't like a lot of cover songs, cover tunes for whatever reason drive me crazy. Like I, and. And so it takes for me. It takes a really kind of a special film for me to be like, "Yes, I'm in for that one. I want to check it out uh, and listen to this song that is a cover of this one that I loved long ago." Like I will never forgive Madonna for what she did to American Pie, like just a crime against humanity. I will never forgive Cheryl Crow 
for what she did to Sweet Child of Mine um, and the like. And so, none of that. But movies, for some reason, I love retellings of classic movies or literature. I love seeing them change and switch. And this is like me. It's Mean Girls meets Strangers on a Train with two teenage girls who are wronged by people in their lives and they agree to help one another take revenge on the person that wronged the other. So like Dave and I were wronged. I would take revenge on Dave's behalf for the person that wronged Dave and Dave would go vice versa. And one of them is much more into the revenge than the other one. And it's just such a great, it's such a great thing. And it shows the influence of Alfred Hitchcock as a filmmaker and in that context and that lens, I'm watching this trailer and I'm like, this looks like it could be a lot of fun. And it's kind of the type of movie that should go direct to Netflix streaming, in my in my opinion. So with that in mind, now that I've given you that context, does that change your thoughts in any way, shape or form with this movie? Probably not. Probably not one that I'm going to watch. Just, I mean, it, it is... You know, see, like I'm like I'm a kind of a movie nerd like you, and, and it, it takes a lot for me to jump on the rebake train. Even if you're kind of you know doing a different skin on it and that sort of thing, it's still. And, and I love Maya Hawk, and I think she's fantastic as Robin in in that show, and she's one of my favorite characters. Um, but uh, I'm probably gonna pass on this one, Pat. Just being straight with you, it just I don't know. It didn't it didn't resonate with me. To be honest, only one of the three that she did this year. Did we have to boo you twice? Is did, that what I heard? Did Ray show up or did I miss it? Where's Ray at? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I... I'm just saying. I think it looks like a lot of fun. I can't wait to watch it. It does I can't look wait fun. To, uh, it does look fun. I can't, I can't wait to rave about it to you guys and force you to watch it the way we forced PC Tony to check out Sandman. Um... Because you know he's you know he's going to now, right? He needs to. That's a show that needs to be watched by any of the nerds listening to this. Uh, you, draw your own conclusions, but yeah, everybody needs to watch that. Absolutely. So I actually kind of wish Aesop was here for our second trailer. I and I lied. This one is actually getting a limited theater release. So this is a European uh, film. Takes place in the future. It's called Vesper, and takes the the basic setting is this is uh, another. It's a post apocalyptic movie where the Earth's climate has ravaged everything, and most survivors who are poor live on the outside trying to survive in this world while there is a strong, um, thriving sort of, I don't even know what, I can't even remember what they call themselves, a uh, community of people who ha- kind of hoard all the resources and keep everyone out. And the main character is this 13-year-old um, teenager who has the ability, it appears, to make plants grow and thrive and they could be the human that turns the tide for earth and the human race uh i'm very intrigued by this movie it looks very very high concept if there's one thing i love about good science fiction is good science fiction is always a reflection of what is going on in our current times and climate change is very much at the forefront of what we should be concerned with as a as a world community 
right now. I mean, there's literally rivers in France that are dried up because of the drought that is happening. And we joke about Bakersfield that it is and the way that it has been for far too long. And, and I just like it looks very gritty. It looks very dark, um, but also kind of hopeful, if that makes any sense. And so I'm here for it, Dave. What did you think of this trailer? Um, undecided, I think it's it's a it's a unique concept. Um, there's some there's some interesting things going on for sure. It's a little bit difficult to kind of wrap your head. Okay, what exactly am I watching here? But it, it does look it does look interesting. And yeah, I think you know anything talking about climate change, like you're talking about Bakersfield, um, Lake Mead, right outside Las Vegas, big story there that's been drying up. They're finding bodies all over the place now that the lake is drying right. up. It is that's disturbing, the but huh the mob yeah the, the mob, mob is, is the mob's like shit we've been found out um but yeah i, I think this one's this one's one that i'm i'm solidly in the middle of the road on it it's like that looks interesting I, i'd like to learn more about it and 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 it probably one that'd be worth checking out yeah i uh i i don't know that i'll see it at, at my local independent movie theater if it'll even get a release at my local independent movie theater but yeah it looks i think it looks quite good and I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing it. So our last trailer, moving on, looks like a lot of fun. And this is actually already available to stream on Netflix at right now. You can go watch it. It's coming up as a, as a suggestion for me. And it's a movie called Day Shift. And Day Shift stars Jamie Foxx, James Franco, and Snoop Dogg as they don't they're not really bounty hunters it looks like they're like i don't know if they're bounty hunters or some sort of police keeping force to hunt vampires during the day and it it, i mean there's just there's vampire contortionism heads exploding blood everywhere james franco acting horribly uncomfortable at all times um as as he tries to fight vampires alongside Jamie Foxx, Jamie Foxx owes $10,000. This is brought to you apparently by the same people that have brought us the John Wick films. So, or, or at least I, I don't know if it's John Wick or the battle, like the fight choreography guy for John Wick. Cause when they were kind of promoting him in the trailer, it shows up during there, but Snoop Dogg is a vampire bounty hunter. Like how can you go wrong with that? You really can't. Uh, this one, I, I saw that it's already out and I'm like, Ooh, okay. I might have to watch this, but yeah, I, Day I, night with the missus. yeah, I think she would enjoy this and, and, and it, yeah, I mean, basically collecting vampire fangs and sell it like, you know, they're the va- exterminating vampires and collecting, you know, parts of them has got a market value attached to it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, vampires during the daytime, uh, you know, I thought that's a cool concept, but I, I love like some of the in, in, interaction between Jamie Foxx and, and who's it? Dave Franco. Is he the other guy on Dave the, Franco? They it, say, I keep saying James, don't I? It's his bro- brother, cousin. I don't know what he is, but yeah, it's his brother. And, uh, the interaction between them is great. You know, especially when, when Dave pisses himself, his first encounter with a vampire and Jamie Foxx, like eh, people piss themselves all the time. Well, did you, well, well, not me, but you did, you know, 
and you did. Yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it, it, it's very clever, especially talking about the Twilight movies and, and that sort of thing. Um, so this one, yeah, Snoop Dogg is a badass vampire bounty hunter. I'm I'm all in on that. So I was this is the one of the three that I was highest on and, you know, play on words, you know, not literally high but Snoop Dogg's in there. But you know what I mean? So I'm I'm in on this movie. Well, if I can go one for three for a career, I can get into the baseball hall. One, one so and I a got half. that going. One and a half for three. One and a half. Yeah, okay. All right. We're we're almost there. So all right. Well, there you have it. That is our, our visit to the trailer park. Dave, I'm starting to think it's just gonna be the two of us today, bud. It works. It's okay. We can we can keep ourselves busy with these next few topics anyway. Well, and, and we can we can go full nerd. I mean, we could go full nerd with Aesop. Aesop knows his stuff as well, so uh, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna shift gears now out of the trailer park, and we're gonna go into some news around the nerdosphere. And uh, I wanted to talk about this first topic last week, but just didn't have we just didn't have the time because of Warner Brothers and and HBO Max and, and Discovery and Discovery Plus and all that, but. An article started circulating around uh, about a VFX uh, from a VFX artist who talked about what it's like to work in a Marvel project. And to put it mildly, it's not easy or particularly good for the VFX artist. And this person describes, you know, they work seven days a week, 64 hours a day, coworkers breaking down and crying people having anxiety attacks um, and that it all comes down to the power that the MCU has over these, these companies and these studios and, and that they know that they can basically drive people the way they want to because there's another company that'll willingly do it. And, you know, not just the hours of the day, that are the hours a week that they have to work, but also just the nature of changing. Like they'll make changes all the time, like in post-production and, and what massive changes to, to nearly finished products and creating more work and stress on these companies. So Dave, I I guess I go to you because Kevin Feige at Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con, we all gushed over this timeline and, all the stuff that's coming out. I don't think, I, I don't know that it's going to go, it's ever going to change, I guess is, is my question. But what say you, what is your reaction to this? And is there anything that visual effects studios and the artists that work there can do to make their conditions better? Um, in short, probably not. Um, unless they've got a, a pretty powerful union to lobby for them to, because Reading that article, it sounds very similar to, um, you know, the industry that I'm in, which is kind of the insurance in a roundabout sort of way, uh, you know, workers comp insurance and, and insurance companies. You see it. You used to see this with the video game industry. A lot of the complaints I read here were very similar to stuff that we've heard in the video game industry for years. You're talking about an industry that's very cutthroat with each other and you know, Marvel comes out or, or any of these big co- companies are going to come out and say, hey, we need visual effects done. Um, you know, who's going to give us the best bid for this project? And these companies are underbidding the shit out of each other. 
cutting the legs and the nuts off of their competitors to get that job. And then, you know, once they get that job, you got companies like Marvel coming in and being very demanding, overworking them, underpaying them. And they've got, like I told you in the chat, they've got no leverage at all because if they don't like it, somebody else will do it for cheaper. And Marvel will say, you're hired. And so when you're in a situation like that, that's a no-win situation right now. When there's there's multiple of these VFX companies who are all, you know, underbidding, undercutting each other for the services of these big, massive... I mean, the work's there, obviously. Marvel's got the work for them, so it's not like they're not getting paid anything. But, yeah, it, it's a lot to dump right. on these guys, and, and, and they've got virtually no no way to push back and say, hey, we need better conditions, we need this, that, and the other, because all these companies are just killing each other. You know, when it's just a feeding frenzy, um, I don't see how it gets better anytime soon unless, you know, you got to unionize, you got to unite and say, we're not doing... I mean, they would have leverage and power if they stood together. That's not going to happen. Right. Oh, it's such a fascinating thing. And again, I'm going to go back to... I just got done talking about, or, you know, in the trailer park, I was talking about this ILM light and magic documentary, which to be clear is a documentary by Lucasfilm and Disney about Lucasfilm and Disney. And so it's very much like sort of pat ourselves on the back. And if you, the, the only real conflict that kind of comes up in this documentary is they talk about the development of industrial light and magic is the transition and resistance that practical effects people had with digital effects. That when digital effects started to really become big in the late 80s and early 90s with things like The Abyss, Terminator 2, Jurassic Park, that that, that led to you know an exodus of practical effects people. Like outside of that, it sounds like it's hunky-dory working at ILM. And then you see this article. And, you know, ILM is part of that, that, or that VFX conglomerate. Uh, I remember when, you know, I think Weta Digital for a while, the company behind like Lord of the Rings and did the visual effects for that, like that company um, has been in a similar boat. And a lot of visual effects companies start and then close within a year because they, they don't get paid what they should for their work. They don't get celebrated. And this is the thing that I find really interesting and, and why I hope that someday visual effects workers do unite because modern filmmaking is all visual effects, like, or is, is significantly visual effects. And that's the other thing that, I, that really stuck out to me in watching light and magic is they started, they interviewed the director for the underground railroad uh, movie. I think it was, and it looks all practical. And this guy's like, you know, people would come up to me. The director was like, people will come up to me now and be like, you know, I saw the Underground Railroad and it's it's amazing and it's all practical and it looks great. And he's like, nope, nope, thanks, ILM. That's that's who you should be thinking. So this is what we are. And then you look at like you look at Avengers Endgame, for example. Like it's basically green screen everywhere. Uh, the way that they've started making. Uh, Lucasfilm series with this room that can project the image of any sort of terrain and environment you want. That's very much, you know, where we're headed now. Visual effects make our movies, like finish making our movies. The actors are important, yes. 
but visual effects are playing a bigger and bigger role. And it makes it makes me wonder because you don't see, you know, companies like ILM and Weta aren't the ones making these complaints, you know, because they've got power and they've got leverage. But you wonder how much of right. You wonder, and it makes, and I mean, I don't know enough about the industry, but it'd be interesting to look into it. How much of, of the work are companies like ILM and Weta outsourcing to these smaller companies who are being right. ground into dust? Um, and, and, and you gotta, I mean, and you almost have to think that maybe ILM and places like Weta, I am glad you mentioned them. Maybe they're more of, uh, of the problem as opposed to the cure, because if they're saying we got right. all this, we got a contract with, with Disney to do this, this, and this, we can't do it all. We're going to outsource. And that's probably where the cutthroat underbidding is taking place at these lower street level tertiary sort of, sort of places where they're coming in and saying, Hey, we can do that job for you for this amount of dollars and we'll get it done in three weeks. And yeah, when you make representations like that, you better deliver because there's 10 other companies that'll do it for cheaper. So yeah, it's, it's a vicious kind of circle, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, like you're saying, visual effects, CGI, all that stuff. You don't, you don't make these big blockbusters without that. Because, like you were saying last week, we talked about the claymation documentary. We're not going back to that technology, <laughs> so you know right. that's a problem. Well, yeah, we're not, or we're not going back to that technology as a primary technology. Like I, I do think that, as we talked about earlier, like a niche is a niche, right? Like a niche will will always find some sort of thing but that's going to be like that passion project that makes a little bit of money not you know not something that can can sustain a vfx company so all right more on that as it develops if anything develops you know maybe it's just going to be a lot of noise and marvel's not going to say anything and it's going to go away uh because if there's one thing i think marvel mcu and disney do pretty well uh they just they don't really acknowledge that sort of stuff. They just kind of let it go. Uh, but some good news out of Disney came this week as well, shared to us by Aesop Mitchell. And what I thought was funny in that he asked if anybody had sh- had shared the news item before he shared it, because we now kind of have a running competition over of trying to get news first. And, and then we love, well, okay, I love calling out my peers and they, and they love doing it back to me. So it's kind of, it's kind of, been a fun full circle thing uh well dave posted this three days ago or i posted that three days ago dave and, and calling each other out has been a thing but asap shared that marvel continues to try and improve its footprint within underrepresented underrepresented identities and communities and this week announced the hiring of Zoe Tarakin. Um, Zoe is the first ever transgender and non-binary actor to join a Marvel Cinematic Universe project and is being cast in a role that is supposed to be a significant role in um, Ironheart, which its casting in general for Ironheart is, is, is the most, probably the most diverse since Black Panther, uh, in terms of just expanding its footprint and expanding its representation or expanding representation in the, in, in the MCU. I know for a lot of people, Disney hasn't moved fast enough. Disney probably hasn't been perceived as working hard enough. I really, really, really 
feel like they're they're trying to rectify that and take good steps to positively move forward with its casting with its representation and this is just the next step all right (laughs) so at the risk Uh of pissing people off out there I, i get the calls you guys have to do better but you know as we've said on this show numerous times you can't just cast a a certain demographic in a role just for the sake of doing it it has to make sense and and you gotta and it has to be the right casting decision and like it or not marvel and disney have done phenomenally well at cat you look at the train wreck that we're going to talk about with dc casting errors and marvel by and large avoiding that and yeah maybe you need to get some of this stuff in there but it's got to be the right moment. Like we've talked about, you can't just cast a black Superman for the sake of casting a black Superman. It has to be the right actor. It has to make sense. It has to fit in with everything else. And, you know, and this is great. You know, this, obviously there's a reason why they did this casting. It fits in with what they're doing with Ironheart. It's the right actor. It's the right time. This actor is the best individual for this role. And, and and great, that's awesome. And and that and I think Ironheart is shaping up to be a really really different, unique and cool series. But yeah, and I I love it. It's just like this whole thing, you guys have to do better. Well, okay, they do. But you can't just do better for the sake of doing better because it undercuts everything else that, that's going on, which has been well, you've heard. I've complained about that for over a year now that I'm all for diversity and inclusion and all that, but not at the sake of destroying or not destroying but watering down the product because hey this other person would have probably been a better choice but we need to right a perceived wrong here so it's great that they've done that and uh, and i i'm i'm all i'm all in on this show see i think and i actually want to i want to hammer down on that point that you just made there a little bit because what i think is really interesting is i don't know that necessarily people are saying cast people who are shitty just because they're black, gay, transgender, or whatever. What I think is really interesting when it comes to representation, and what and I'll I'll go to a um, now I know this is James Franco. Um, it's the casting decisions by Hollywood not to cast people who have the identity of the person they're casting for. And well, let, we'll use Marvel as an example. The Ancient One casting. Um, Shit, I'm gonna lose her Kate name now. Blanchett, right? Is that who it was? No, not Kate Blanchett. It was um or Tilda Tilda, she, Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton. There you go. Tilda Swinton as the ancient one in uh in Doctor Strange. You know, taking an taking an Asian character and making them, you know, and the argument was, well, no, we just made them an ancient Celtic whatever instead of an ancient, you know, Chinese stereotype. But you took you took a Chinese character. And you you whitewashed it. Um, James Franco is playing um, is it Castro. Is that who he got cast as? Which movie? Yeah, is that? He got cast as James Franco got cast as Fidel Castro in an upcoming movie about Castro's life. And John Leguizamo was like, "Come on, like what are we doing here?" And that's really where I think the argument is 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 that it's it's when they do when they do bring in a a character of color or a, a character, maybe a gay character or a trans transgendered character. Transgender characters is another one where so many times, like they would cast a woman to play a transgender woman instead of casting a transgender actor to play that role. And that's what 
that's where they're talking about representation. And they're not saying, you know, cast this person just to make this, you know, thing to do this. And I'm going to actually go to uh, a series that we're currently watching, Sandman, because a lot of people are raising shit over some of the casting decisions because of characters of color, gay characters uh, being cast in, in so, some ways, maybe some characters, which, by the way, Neil Gaiman was involved in much of what's going on with Sandman. But a lot of these, like, let's call spade a spade, angry white dudes are getting pissy over casting decisions that were made in Sandman. I've only gotten, I'm only three episodes in um, so far. I just got through Johanna Constantine, Constantine, um, and uh, Sandman getting getting his bag of sand back. Um, but people are just pissed. They're pissed. They're to call, oh, the dogs are pissed too. Yeah, they are. They're upset now. But talking about this being this like weird woke casting thing, and it's not like that's not woke cast. Woke casting isn't casting a transgender transgender man in a transgender man role. Or again, transgender man identifies as a man. So casting them in a man and a male and an identity and an identifying male role isn't bad and it isn't woke casting. Like you said, Dave. Perhaps they actually earned the damn role. Because who we think earned the role may not have actually earned the role. So right. that's the only pushback I'll give on that. I do think that there is stunt casting to be stunt casting. I also think that there's been a lot of times where Hollywood and, and Marvel has fucked that up. Right. And and I, w- I want to make sure anybody listening understands that you raise a, a great point that yeah, trying to shoehorn somebody into a role because they'll be more widely accepted amongst the perceived, you know, normal population or whatever the hell you want to call it, um, is 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 just as wrong as trying to shoehorn somebody in there just for the sake of correcting a perceived wrong, you know. And like like you're saying, yeah, why couldn't we cast an Asian person in the role of the ancient one? You know, that's who the role was made for. But no, we had to do it this way and. And yeah, that's as wrong as anything. It's like, it's like, you know, you see it in the NFL. Black coaches should have been hired, but no, we can't do that. Even though they're more qualified, we're going to hire the white guy for whatever stupid reason exists. So yeah, I, I agree with you. And yeah, the, the criticisms on Sandman is just like, you know, they're telling a story. And just because, you know, it's not the fact that they cast somebody in a certain role. It's the fact that they're presenting the storyline that you know old right. white guys don't why do i have to watch that shit well then don't watch it you know stop complaining about it well and that's and that's the other thing that i the other question i always ask when people start complaining about woke casting i always want to know how did that casting actually impact or hurt the story other than you can't get past that actor's identity because did it change the story in any perceptible way that hurt the story or are you just mad to be mad because you feel threatened that every single thing that comes out doesn't speak to you specifically? Is that's the other thing that drives me nuts? Yeah, I think like white straight people like me, uh, we have plenty of stories sure. that ha- are told to us for us at us, and it's okay to let other people have stories too. Yeah, I, I want to, you know, not obviously not going to happen on this show, but. Um, episode five of Sandman. I, I really, when you get to that, I think that'd be a really good conversation for all of us to actually have because it ties into so much of what we're talking about right now. It, it is an episode that is, it's very strange from a story standpoint, 
but it's got things going on that are going to trigger a lot of these people that we're talking about. And they're going to be like, why did you have to do it that way? Well, it's a different sort of, I mean, you'll see when you watch the episode and, and we'll have to talk about that. But yeah, I, you know, that's neither here. Nor I'm hoping there. to get, I'm hoping to get to it this evening, actually, to be honest, uh, with, uh, with the Mrs. O'Dowd, cause I've got her in, I've got her hooked. So we, yeah, we, yeah, five we caught it, up on stranger things. We watched it all. Did you watch it? So did you finish it? it? Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. I think that's, we're going to leave that there for now. I, you know, I miss that. It's just the two of us and our perspectives is two straight white dudes uh, talking about this. Even if we had Aesop, it would have been a third straight white dude. Um, however, I also think that we, as a, as a podcast, try really hard to, you know, we don't try to speak for folks. I hope that, I hope that people don't feel like we try to speak for them. Uh, but that we make every effort to learn from others and from other perspectives. So with that, we're going to take our second commercial break, and then we're going to jump into the hot garbage mess once again that is the DC cinematic universe, DC films, I don't know, DC whatever you want to call it, the DC travesty. That's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the DC travesty when we come back. You are listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the Chairshot Radio Network. Part of Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Why should you visit thechairshot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. All right. Welcome back. And before we get into our final topic, I forgot to do this in front of the commercial break, so I'm going to do it now. And that is remind you all that if you love what we do on bandwagon nerds if you love what we do on the chair shower network if you love our podcast and you want to support us the best way that you can do that is with the brand by heading over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and investing in one of our mini shirt designs we have a bandwagon nerd shirt you could wear rep us you could get a chair shot logo rep the entire network you could rep your favorite saying from a show everybody hates craig baron corbin sucks all of that good stuff. It's all there over at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. Shirts are only $19.99 a piece. Or if you're feeling fancy, want something that feels nice on your giblets, spend a few dollars more, get it soft style, and your body will thank you later. Again, we love putting this content out there every single day. And the best way that you can support us and get the word out about us is to invest in a shirt. And again, that site, ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. As Chris Flat would say, please and thank you. Thank you, and please. All right, Dave. Home stretch, final segment of the show. We we had so much fun talking about Warner Brothers. We had so much fun talking about DC last week. We're gonna come back. We're gonna do it all over again, and we're gonna we're really gonna dr- drill down on DC today. Uh, and we're gonna start with the most problematic actor in recent memory, Ezra Miller, and. There's no other way to say it. Ezra Miller is a piece of shit. 
and they are causing so much trouble for for Warner Brothers in DC right now. For those of you who have been under a rock, Ezra Miller was once again uh, arrested, uh, this time for allegedly breaking into a home, I do believe, and stealing something or other. Alcohol uh, in Vermont. Seems like, what's that? Stealing, yeah, stealing al- alcohol in Vermont. Uh, Child Protective Services in Vermont are now after Ezra Miller uh, in regards to the young woman and her children that were staying with them. And, and it's just, it's just horrible. And so I have a couple of questions. One, why does this person get all of these chances? Like, are they that talented of an actor? And, and Ezra Miller clearly doesn't care because like two days ago, photographed hanging out at their mom's place, winking at the camera, like, look what I'm doing back in action. And it's put, Warner Brothers in a place with this Flash movie where basically the reports we're hearing is that there's really like three options. There's Ezra Miller promises to get help and go see, you know, starts going to therapy, whatever it is they wanted to do and has limited, uh, limited, if any sort of promotional role in the film. Uh, there's no Ezra Miller uh, of any sort. And the film just gets quietly released or uh, they scrap the film entirely and take a $200 million loss. Uh, so, Dave, let's start with this. Why the hell does Ezra Miller continue to get so many chances? And what do you think? What At this point, you're Warner Brothers. What do you do with the Flash movie? Wow. Uh, why does Ezra get this many chances? I really have no idea. My my bigger thing is how does he get from the Hawaiian Islands to Vermont and you know where he's supposedly holed up in Hawaii for all the bullshit he was pulling over there. You did that tweet earlier uh, that I thought was so funny but so accurate. It's like he's like a Call of Duty thing where he just respawns in a different location and starts more shit. Right. And that's really what he seems like. It's like how did you end up in Vermont? And you're, and you're looking, you're breaking into houses and terrorizing kids in the search for God knows what. Uh, I don't, you know, man, I don't see option one as we're getting help as being viable because I don't think he wants help. And, you know, unless you're actually actively wanting help to, and wanting to change, and I see zero indication that this guy's got any desire to change. So I think option one's off the table. They may just go forward with it because, you know, there are conflicting reports as to how good the movie is. And, you know, Michael Keaton might have something to say to that. Look, you already screwed me out of Batgirl. Now you want to screw me out of this one as well? No, no. My lawyers have something to say about that. Um, So they may have no choice. Michael Keaton might be the one to force their hand a little bit on this one. Um, So I could see that scrapping the whole thing entirely. When you look at their grand 10 year vision seems to make the most sense. But when you're also trying to cut $3 billion in losses, I don't see how you can tack $200 million on top of that and just say we're not going to recoup any of that. So I think option two, just quietly letting it go along and trying to keep him out of the limelight and hope like hell that he doesn't do something even dumber, get arrested, convicted, and jailed. Now, if he gets incarcerated before this movie comes out, then you got a different problem. But... I think DC and Warner Brothers right now are just hoping, hopefully he'll shut the hell up long enough for us to get this out, then we can forget he ever existed and move on. 
that's my guess at this point. It's too much money to just piss away. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think two hundred million dollars is is you know it's double the Batgirl. It's a film we talked about this last week, and even though Ray disagreed with us, it's a film that was gonna make its money back, and probably well more than its money. So I just can't. I just can't see them not releasing this movie. I, I do think it's option B because I don't think Ezra Miller is interested in getting help. I think Ezra Miller is embracing the, at least I guess, the embracing the erratic film star personality thing. Like this is what Ezra wants, who they want to be. And I, I just don't, I don't know what you do with the, with them. I think that, no matter what, Ezra Miller is certainly not the Flash anymore. Uh, I think I think that has been decided. I think uh, we can say safely say that yeah, this movie's gonna get released. It's it's done. It's gonna get released. It's just gonna be like maybe we see Michael Keaton promoting the hell out of it. You know what I mean? Maybe that's what what we get out of it. That that becomes the result because it's certainly not gonna be Ezra Miller front and center and the promotional stuff. Um, I hope, you know, I think the hope and the naive hope for a lot of folks is that if there's something else going on with Ezra Miller, they get the help they need. Uh, but like you said, I don't either. They don't think that they need that help or they don't want it. And either is, is an unfortunate result in my opinion. And they're in a, I mean, <laughs> ironically this might be a really tricky situation for them warner brothers and dc's almost got a hope they release it they get some money back and the movie just kind of like is eh, and they don't have to worry about it anymore their worst case scenario is they release it and it's critically and critically praised and the fans love it and it makes a shit ton of money and 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 there people will start saying wow yeah i know ezra is a piece of crap but that's a great performance and then they've got this conundrum like they've had with Zack Snyder and all this other shit. So uh, I, yeah, I think you, the movie definitely is going to see the light of day and then it'll be interesting to see how, how it's received after it comes out. Yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah. It'll, and it'll also be interesting to see will, how much will people, how, how will people, how many people will go see it? Probably a lot. I think it lost its potential. I think a lot of people will see it. I do agree that it lost a lot of its potential earning power with every horrible thing we learn about Ezra Miller doing. Like, I just yeah, I don't agree. think you can avoid it. I agree. So, all right. Well, we've loosely talked about the chopping block. Let's, uh, let's, let's jump into the other thing that's been ongoing. So this started with the WB Discovery HBO Max merger talk that – Shows were going to get cut. Things were going to get canceled. What's on the chopping block? And I messaged you today specifically because I want to start here. Nobody fucking knows. Literally no idea what's happening. And I don't know what, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his, how to pronounce his last name. The the new CEO. I don't know what oh, that guy was yeah. thinking by saying we, Xylax or Xyloids, I don't know. Z something. I'll look it up. Go ahead. Yeah, you look it up for me while I while I go into this. So WC WB uh, WB Discovery Plus merger. 
WB Discovery Plus put out a statement saying that they're changing their uh, their approach to the HBO Max streaming service. They announced that they're ending the HBO Max streaming David service. David Zaslav. 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 Yeah. That's it. David Zaslav, they do the unprecedented announcement of axing as the kind of the first major film victims, the Batgirl film, excuse me, and the sequel to Scoob. And then everybody starts speculating on what is next. And specifically within the DC properties, Dave, I have heard literally, I think every DC project is both not safe and safe at this point. Yeah. Like the two articles, because nobody knows. Yeah. Like the, like screen rants, like the articles you posted that we both posted, uh, screen rants, just so optimistic that all this stuff is going to happen. You know, this is safe. That is safe. This is safe. It's all good. And my initial reaction to reading that is like, there's no way that all that stuff is, is, is going to be safe. If, if Zaslav is really trying to do what he's doing and maybe, maybe they've had a, you know, maybe the public outcry was so loud in one week that he said, you know, let's, uh, let's change course and let's keep the scripted programming going. And, and um, I don't know, but like you're saying, no one knows the truth. You know, I think you can, you can look at certain things and say that feels like it should be safe. That should be safe. Like black Adam safe Shazam fury. The gods probably safe. Um, well, those two have already; those two have had major trailers at San yeah, Diego Comic Con. Right. They're they're going to the theaters, right? Aquaman I, two, I, I'm um, not sure about. You know, Flash, I'm not sure about. Well, the Flash because it has its own problems. Uh, Aquaman, I don't even know where they are in production. You know yeah, what I mean? Me that's that's the thing is when you look at when you look at a lot of these results or um or not results when you look at all these speculation. A lot of these things are like shows in development, uh, and there's just a lot of things that don't match up. Like if you're really saying you're going to do a 10 year plan, a la the Marvel cinematic universe where everything's connected, where, where is ground zero for this new direction? And what about all these other projects? Are you going to try to retcon some and not others? And, And do we like, you really honestly telling me that like a blue beetle movie is safe? No way. Like, no way. I, don't, I don't know that a blue beetle movie is safe. Cause I'm sitting here reading. So let's, I want to go through this list. Yes. Black Adam, of course, Shazam, Fury of the Gods. No brainer. Aquaman, baby. I, I buy Peacemaker being safe. Yes. I, I do too. I, John Cena. Such yeah. a successful first run. Exactly. And James Gunn is behind that. And there's power there. The flash should have been safe but that's to me more about ezra miller than it is than it is about the movie itself but constantine like i love constantine constantine i don't know how you pronounce it now after watching sandman yeah, exactly but is that, is that really safe nope you know i i i think their animation wing is safer than sure. than we give it credit for because yeah. it's so strong but my adventures with superman I, I don't know. Maybe I haven't seen an episode. Titans? Titans, maybe. Yeah. But I, I, you know, it's it's popular. Harley Quinn? Harley Quinn is enjoying a great run on season three and has already had season four promise. Sure. Black Canary, though? Nah, I'm not sure. Not sure that one's safe. No, I mean, Blue Beetle? 
Yeah. Not sure that's safe. Think about Black Canary and how I Birds of Prey think, went over. Right. It went over okay as a as a Harley Quinn movie. Yeah, exactly. But it wasn't a Birds of Prey movie. Um, here's the other thing. The, oddly enough, of all the things that's in development that I'm like, yeah, the one I hope doesn't get scrapped because I think it could be a launching point, a launching point is a green is a Green Lantern series. I think that hasn't been explored in a way that other DC properties have. And so it allows your audience to start with like your last taste of Green Lantern was the shit Ryan Reynolds movie that even he makes fun of. And that was over a decade ago. So we're okay there. And I think if you were if you you know, we talk about launching places, we talked about this last time. Maybe a relaunch of of Cyborg, uh, but I think a Green Lantern core film that leads to Hal Jordan because you got to start with Hal Jordan, in my opinion. Uh, when you when you start with Green Lantern, much like in Marvel, you had to start with Steve Rogers before you do other Captain Americas. You had to start with Tony Stark before you do other Iron Man. Start with Hal Jordan and go from there. Uh, I think that can make a lot of sense. Uh, but what I thought was funny was you posted an article being like. Doom Patrol of Titans are in danger. And then two days ago, we got discovered, posted an article that's like, just kidding, Doom Patrol of Titans may be safe after all. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And for my money, I hope they keep Doom Patrol. I hope they keep Titans. I know that they have an audience and a following. It's is that audience and following strong enough to keep them. Same thing with Harley Quinn. Is that audience strong enough for executives to listen to and say, it's worth the investment to continue the story. Now, clearly with Harley Quinn, because it's, I believe it's greenlit for season four, they're in good shape. I, I love Doom Patrol. I worry about Doom Patrol. I, I feel like most of this is kind of a situation where does, does this show pass the smell test? And it may just be as simple as that, where you're looking at this saying, okay, I'm going to name you a show and give me a reaction to that and, and let me know, does it pass the smell test is something that if you're Zaslav and you're looking at this saying, what kind of audience do I have? What kind of reach does this show have? Is this something that's going to make us money or is this going to lose money? And, you know, when you say Peacemaker, that passes the smell test. You know, Black Adam passes the smell test. Shazam passes the smell. Aquaman, maybe, maybe not. Um, Blue Beetle definitely does not. Black Canary... Eh, problematic you know because you don't want to you don't you know it's you know it's it's just that's that's a tough one because it was the movie ended up they had to change the name because it was all harley quinn centric and you know was black canary strong enough in that that you say i want to make a movie about her or is she going to get you know the same sort of problem that that like ezra miller had where he's compared to grant gustin from the flash and there's a better portrayal of black canary over that's already been done. And would she suffer by comparison? So to me, it's like, I, I hope the story. I really hope that the shows that we like the most peacemaker Titans, doom patrol, Harley Quinn. I really hope that they're safe and that he looks at that and says, I think we can make money. We can do stuff with this. Um, Green lantern is a tremendous example, Pat. And that's one where I, I agree with you that, Sure, I want to see Kyle Rayner and I want to see John Stewart and all that. But yeah, you got to start with the character that's most synonymous with with that that's that comic arc and that's Hal Jordan. And you know, and you branch off from Hal because his origin story is the one that you probably want to see, Ryan Reynolds notwithstanding. 
Um, and, and then and then gradually expand the Green Lantern Corps from there. But I think that the Green Lantern Corps would be a great place to kind of reboot this whole thing um, and, and go from there. So, yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they pull this all together. And, you know, more importantly, you know, what direction they go in and, and can they get the right people in the right places to bring this whole mess together? Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And I, I think that segues nice way, nicely into our final piece uh, of this topic. And that is, Zaslav said he's looking for a Kevin Feige. My, my question to you is, who, one, we're, we're going to throw some names out there. Um, I wonder if it'll be any of those names. But who do you think would be a good Kevin Feige? DC well Kevin Feige would be a great choice <laughs> to be his to be his well, self but I don't think that's... I think he's pretty I think he's pretty uh entrenched yeah I I think you know other people that I look at you know Jim Lee would be good I don't think he wants the job uh Jeff Johns is somebody who's been talked about a little bit too controversial Walter Hamada is on his way out probably uh, based on stuff we've talked or seen and heard uh, but I got to say, man, the article that I just sent you literally, what, 15 minutes ago uh, is yep. a really good suggestion that I hadn't thought about. But this one is uh, from MovieWeb talking about the Arrowverse architect Greg Berlanti maybe in line to become the DCU visionary. That is probably the smartest choice that they could go with, because if you're talking about continuity and anybody who spent time in the Arrowverse knows that Greg brought together it started off with one show, then it expanded to two, and then it got really expanded with Supergirl, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, bringing in Black Lightning, bringing in all this other stuff, uh, being able to, he's already done. You know, and I know Crisis on Infinite Earths is your white albatross, Pat, and that's that's all fine and great, but he did pull that uh, off. I've actually watched it at this point. Okay, so, you know, he pulled that off as well as you possibly could um, in 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 with half the budget of the MCU, but he kept the story going and it made sense and it had some really huge moments. And yeah, they deviated arrows, the sacrificial lamb, not flash. And that's okay. But yeah, I, you know, when you're looking at people who, who are familiar with the characters of this universe and could bring them all together and already has experience with trying to create a continuity. I didn't even think about it before reading this, but he's gotta be, a really strong contender, wouldn't he? Yeah, I think I, I think it makes a lot of sense, which is probably why they won't do it, uh, because that's usually how exactly. this sort of stuff works. Um, I'm afraid that one of the other rumored names is actually going to be the person. I'm afraid that they're going to try to have J.J. Abrams do it, and God, I hope not. I'd rather I'd rather, Abrams, Zach, I'd rather them bring Zach back, wouldn't you? Sort of. Yeah. Um, well, and and I said this last week. In fairness to Zack Snyder, he never got to do the vision that he wanted. He didn't get to put his vision in place. My problem with J.J. Abrams and, and is something that I've noticed for a long time. Like, and I say this as a fan of Alias, um, he doesn't know how to he he doesn't know how to really finish a story. It feels like a lot of times. And you know, I was high. We we not too long ago recorded a, a five by five where we talked about our, our best and worst Star Wars moments. And we spent a significant period of time talking about how J.J. Abrams uh, and his role in that sequel trilogy as, as kind of the guy uh, didn't work. Uh, and we had our own reasons for why. 
uh, as we as we kind of looked into it and what happened around there. But it hasn't always been that. Like Alias was really good for a long time and then sort of fizzles as he runs out of ideas of what to do. Lost was good for a little while until he ran out of ideas of what to do. And it just kind of goes on and on and on with him that he kind of hits a point as as a cre- content creator where he runs out of how to, to finish the damn story. And he always kind of wants, and I think Greg DeMarco talked about it. He did an interview where he talks about there's always something in a box and keeping the show going is trying to determine what's in the box. He's basically talking about a MacGuffin and, and looking for a MacGuffin. And I don't, I, I worry that Warner Brothers and Zazlab is going to look for a name. And, and in picking a name, they're going to make a misstep in, in, in what could be, what is, in my opinion, a crucial decision if you really want to do a 10-year run with the MCU. Yeah, a, here's the thing. No, had, had you heard of Kevin Feige before the MCU? Because I sure as hell had not. And he was not, he was not household name. That's, I had not, no. That sort of, J.J. Abrams, like you met, and although you and I don't see eye to eye on, on every aspect of the sequel trilogy, I, I do give you credit for pointing out that J.J. Um, gets a little bit too entrenched in paying fan service and, and trying to focus in on convincing the fans that, hey, I know this universe and I know this lore. And we saw that, created some issues with star Wars. I agree with you there. Can you imagine giving him the DC universe, which is what 10 times as deep as star Wars is, um, and letting him play in that sandbox and trying to pay too much fan service to these iconic characters like Superman, like Batman, like wonder woman, uh, you run the risk. See what Feige did was he, and although we've bemoaned the whole thing on occasion, shout out to Aesop Mitchell and his insistence that we stick to Canon which I agree with and don't agree with at the same time. But um, what Feige did is he took that source material and he used that as a, as a, as a platform to make his own vision. And I don't know if JJ Abrams is going to have that kind of vision where he may stick too rigidly to the canon at the expense of trying to do something innovative and maybe switching this, tweaking this here, doing that. What made infinity war and Endgame so great was they took the infinity gauntlet, just the gauntlet, and, you know, Thanos was it, it, what we saw in the movies was not what we got in the comics, but it was just kind of predicated on that based on that. And I don't know if Abrams has that kind of vision to do something like that with the DC universe. So I'd be I'd be concerned about that. Right. And, and I I'm I'm right there with you. I think there's there's reason to be concerned if if that's the direction they go. So. All right, it's That's, probably going to be somebody that we have we don't even know, and that'd be fine that we yeah. haven't even heard of that we're not you know we're not thinking and, 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 that'd be and fine. honestly that's probably the best course of action, right? Yeah, I, I want it like, to be somebody probably the best course. Of action. I mean, I'd have to go back and look about you know what was Feige doing in two thousand eight. You know, I you know if they wanted to do something, you know, here's something that hasn't been talked about, but in you know they're great directors and we've seen what they can do with movies but i don't know how well they would do as far as like being you know micromanaging a universe uh, russo brothers you know they'd be somebody who i'd say let them run with this see what they can do with this they're not doing marvel movies right now they've got familiarity with these concepts maybe something like that yeah i mean they 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 showed that they can handle it that's for sure at least as directors so 
good, good stuff. Dave, we're going to set a record here. This may be the shortest episode of Bandwagon Nerd in the history of Bandwagon Nerd. As I'm rolling up on an hour and a half. Yeah, and, and we covered a lot of ground. But, you know, when it's the, when it's I, the OGs. I do. But it's the OGs, you know. Yep, it is what it is. And, you know, it'll be next week. We'll be short in OG. The next two weeks, you're going to be short in OG. Uh, I'll miss you. Uh, it's that time of year, though, folks. That's It's that time of year when Patrick's job demands he work on recording days. And ergo, I will be working on recording. I got to make that money. I got to make that sweet, sweet, oh, wait, I don't make overtime. I get comp time because I'm a salaried employee. That sucks. But I'll still be there. I feel um, your pain, Yeah, brother. that's good. I think that's it. Yeah, right? Why don't you... Um, Get us started on the road home. Tell everybody where they can find you on the Chair Shot Radio Network and out there in the socials. Yeah, remember, all your hate tweets need to go to at PC Tunney. If we said anything today that you didn't agree with, at PC Tunney, send your hate tweets there. If you want to send complimentary stuff, though, you can send stuff to me on Twitter at Attitude Ag, that is at Attitude A-G-G, or Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. Excellent. And you can follow me on the Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. Also, follow the show on Twitter at Bandwagon Nerds. Easiest one to find. We're the only one with that handle. Works out well. Also, uh, you can catch me every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on the Chair Shot Radio Network. Monday's right here on Bandwagon Nerds. Tuesday, Dave and I talk to you about either hockey or music. Uh, sometimes it's a sometimes it's a five by five. You just never know what you're going to get on Chair Shot Radio, Dave. And then on Wednesdays, it's myself, Craig Demarco, and Miranda Morales talking wrestling on the Greg Demarco Show. That's going to do it for us this week on Bandwagon Nerds. Now get yourself out of the basement, get some sun, and help fix the TC universe because God knows they need all the help they can get. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the Chair Shot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com. It is Zuko! You hey, gotta be kidding, man! Hey, then I'm gonna Hey, hey, what is this, Halloween? Where did you swipe this letterman sweat, huh? My tools were out stealing hubcaps on Leonard and Chad. How do you like that? I can't believe it. Danny Zuko turned jock? That's right, it did. What are you doing, deserting us? Well, you guys can't follow either all your lives, can you? Oh, come on, guys. You know you mean a lot to me. It's just that Sandy does too, and I'm gonna do anything I can to get her. That's Sandy? Tell me about it.